0: Welcome back everyone. Uh, This panel session features three business leaders who will consider how Singapore will aim to achieve prosperity and progress over the next decade and beyond. As I indicated in the summary just now, we will be drawing on the deliberations of the earlier sessions of this this conference to stimulate our discussion about the future of business in Singapore. We will ask questions like, what kind of business do we want in Singapore? What are the sources of sustainable value-add that a high-cost location for businesses such as Singapore needs to possess? What is the future of Singapore's hub status given trends of deglobalization and technological disruption as well as potential future pandemics like COVID-19? As we've heard, um, there's been a lot of discussion about um, the change that's been brought upon us uh, by COVID-19. but we need to ask, ask ourselves uh, very pertinent questions um, you know, in all our domains of our lives, particularly business, um, about a few things. And uh, I touched on some of these issues in the summary just now. Um, it will be an ambitious agenda to cover all of this in just under 90 minutes, but what I'll do in the first part of the session is to ask the panelists for their views on each of the following topics. And these topics are leadership, the future of tripartism in Singapore, uh, and businesses' role and responsibilities to society, the environment, looking beyond the economic capital that they've managed and invested on their balance sheets, um, as it were, to beyond other forms of it- tangible and intangible capital, human, environmental and social. You may co- pose your questions for the panel online via Pigeon Hall at any time. For those present here today, you will have the opportunity when we move to the Q&A section. Please pose your questions by indicating to our friendly IPS helpers around <coughs> your zones that you wish to answer a question and they will signal to me accordingly. We ask that you keep your mask on. Please stand up to introduce yourself and ask your questions. Alternatively, you may ask your question also via pigeonhole and the QR codes to access the system are available on your tables. Now I have the pleasure of introducing our three panelists uh, this morning. They are from left to right, uh, Ms. Ao Ka-peng. She is the chairman of the Shell Companies in Singapore. In Shell, she has been in a number of roles within the chemicals and global commercial businesses and prior to joining Shell, she had a long career in the Singapore Public Service, serving as Chief Executive Officer at the Singapore Tourism Board and a range of roles at the Economic Development Board. Next to her uh, is Mr. Louis Lim, who is the Chief Operating Officer and the incoming Chief Executive Officer of Keppel Land. He was previously Director of Group Strategy and Development at Keppel Corp uh, and the Managing Director of Keppel Technology and Innovation. Prior to Keppel, Louis was a partner in Bain & Company where he was responsible for the firm's consumer products and retail and organisational and change management practices in Southeast Asia. To Louis' left is Mr. Ang Yu, Founder and Managing Director of Ingenium. Private Limited, a digital agency that focuses on technological innovation and user experience. Ingenium has been spun out from the Adventist consultants and is involved in front-end mobile and web projects with ministries, banks and MNCs. Yut is also Vice President of Strategies, uh, Development and Digitalization at the Association of Small and Medium Enterprises and past president of the Entrepreneurs' Organization Singapore. So, let's begin. The first topic is leadership, and I'll kick it off by again referencing Professor Linda Lim's uh, comments when she proposed that Singapore has been a follower, at best a fast follower, but not a first mover. Can and should Singaporean businesses shoulder the risks that come with being a first mover? Is it within the Singapore business DNA uh, to go where nobody has ventured before, to capture first mover advantages, especially into the region. Maybe uh, we go in order. Capping, uh, what are your thoughts?
1: Okay. Well, p- thanks very much for having me, uh, Christopher. It's it, it's really you know fascinating to have heard your summary just before this panel um, and listen to the range of uh, views that have been expressed across so many. Different topics. So, hopefully, you know, here, at least for, for us in this panel, we would be able to bring some views from a business perspective. Um, I, I think it's quite tempting to try and pigeonhole a formula for success. So, whether we should be a fast follower, whether we should be an origin hub, and, and so on and so forth. Um, as I look at the business that we're in now, um, it is being disrupted as we speak and And I'm sure we will talk more about it later about um climate change, about energy transition. the energy system, as we know it today has been in place and developed over a couple of hundred years. you know it didn't happen overnight so how are you gonna how are you gonna get value as this system gets disrupted and and how would a big energy a major like ourselves in in shell be not just part of that process but in the end thrive through energy transition. So, you know, in, in the context of, of that type of um, disruption that is happening in so many places, and, and that's with the system that we know today, yeah, which is energy, what more of systems that we don't even completely understand, yeah, with the digital world and so on. So, so my, my take on it is, I don't think it's about whether we will be a fast follower or, or or place of origin and so on. I I do think it comes back to what disruption means opportunities. Disruption requires agility. Disruption means that we have to figure out not just um, what we want to do, but why we're good at it and how we're winning and play that to our strengths. So, you know, so it could mean many different ways of winning and not just a single model of success, right? And I'll give you a simple example to kind of illustrate this. Uh, We have a company that we acquired some years ago, Green Lots. It started as a Singapore company. The founders were from here, they had a great idea. It was about building a um, EV charging infrastructure. But, you know, as much as that company was originated in Singapore, at that time, they quickly went over to California because the opportunity was there. The regulatory environment was such that you know things were changing there. They saw an opportunity to quickly take the idea that they had and to scale. Yeah? Um, and then some years later, they came back to Singapore. So right now, if you, if you see what we do with green lots, they have a couple of hundred charging points in Singapore. We, we add to that the Shell Network adds to that and so we have a few hundred charging points. But my point is this, if they had stayed in Singapore, the question would be what would have happened, right? So I think it's a question of, you know, what are you good at? Um, What does it take to, to win in that environment? And are you able to take advantage of that? have the agility to react, organize yourself, get out there and look, you know, coming back to Singapore is not a bad thing. In fact, we love the fact that they are doing a lot more back here, um, learning from the experience that they've had and bringing it back.
0: Thanks, Kaping. Uh, and maybe we'll come back to that idea of, of um, you know, coming back to the region. Mm-hmm. Come back, You said coming back to Singapore first, but maybe, you know, come back and maybe use some of the things that you've learned uh, in California in the case of Green Lots, mm-hmm. uh, and then maybe expand that uh, into the rest of the region. Uh, clearly, you know, with EV charging, uh, many parts of the, the Southeast Asian region are not quite ready yet. But mm. you know, in time to come, it will be these technologies will be onboarded and, and you know, there will be opportunities for us, uh, for Singaporean businesses to then uh, lead in the region this way. And we'll maybe come back to this idea of, of um, the ASEAN opportunity. Uh, later on. Um, Louis? Thank you. Thank you
2: for having me on the panel and uh, congratulations on a very good summary earlier. Um, I actually challenge the idea that we haven't been leaders or fast followers um, in Singapore and that we don't have that as part of our DNA. So if you look at Keppel as an example, um, we, Singapore was a global leader for the offshore marine business. Um, In the 80s, Keppel land went to China, Vietnam, India and Indonesia as well. And today China and Vietnam uh, contribute a significant part of the profits for, for capital land. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it's not in our DNA. The question is, have we, we been able to sustain it? And do we have the culture of enterprise today that some of the leaders of the nation in, in, in the previous decades had? Right, so uh, you know, the sense is there are some very good ideas, but do we have the talent pool in Singapore, do we have the platforms in place? Do we have the environment that encourages the growth of some of these businesses and, and to scale these businesses? Arguably, it's possible. We have seen companies like Grab, which is originally from Malaysia, come here and then been, be, become very successful. Uh, but, but the question is, how do we find more of these and how do we reinvent the corporations that have been around for a long time? Uh, to to enter the the, the next phase, right? I think some of the themes that you've been talking about at IPS from a business perspective, you talk to a lot of business leaders, three topics typically come up, uh, digitalization, sustainability, and platforms. And so the question for for me is what more can we do to lead in these three spaces? And I think Singapore being a small country is actually primed to be able to give us proofs of concepts um, using the, the size as an advantage, and then taking these ideas and then taking them abroad. So I, I think there's an opportunity for us to reinvent ourselves and, and to reimagine 2030 uh, with, with some of these themes, very clear themes for us to focus on.
0: It's Again, interesting that what you said about the you know the idea of, of you know um, you know building up this this um, uh, ecosystem. Uh, I you know and what we need to to take uh, the kind of the risks um, going forward. Um, you, uh, you know, maybe uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, particularly from the kind of small and and medium enterprise angle, you know, yeah. can we be fast followers or even dream to be first movers uh, for for the. And what are the impediments, maybe uh, to to that?
3: Yeah, so it's a, a very interesting questions from the perspective of small and medium enterprises. Um, you know, I happen to um, chair the business feedback group in uh, the association. So we look at, you know, the challenges that small and medium enterprises have year on year and its relation to actually the Singapore budget. And also we look at the uh, challenges that SMEs have, like, you know, overall as an ecosystem. Now a few things, right, if you if you look at generally from the SME perspective, um, not a very small number of SMEs would really make it big. That That's the reality of it. And the majority of SMEs are are really, um, trying to um, make a good living, you know, continue to innovate and, and really do well within our um, country, right, as an ecosystem. So I think first and foremost, we, we need to kind of look at um, the ecosystem. So that's, that's what was shared, right, about ecosystem. And we need to also look at the ecosystem, not just from the perspective of how do you get 10x or 100x, because there are companies that are engineered and designed to go that size, but by and large, small and medium enterprises in, you know, if you're looking at small and micro, which is below 5 million in turnover, we, we really want a stable life and have a good living and be able to feed our, our you know, children and, and, and make, make, make a good living for us. And what we, we look at is really... Um, how does our ecosystem and, and the country provide for all of that? You know, allow for SMEs to prosper, you know, within this framework and also allows, though, allows though that, those that, that has aspirations to go 10x or 100x, right? To, to actually have that, that growth potential. So if, if we look at, at this, I think there are a few perspectives that, overall as, as a nation we can really tackle and, and really look at and the question around leadership is great right because if you look at um, the overall the initiative from, from the government and, and um, grants and help that comes down to the ecosystem what usually happens is really to, to really promote SMEs to continue innovating I think that's great right um, at the same time because we, we are the receiving end as SMEs. We see that, that, that from a leadership perspective, the direction set is really very great and, and clear, but we always find that there is an element of um, uh, caution that, that happens as it flows through the system. Meaning that people um, are really concerned about, you know, when dealing with taxpayers' money, so we are trying to help the SMEs to actually upskill you know, and, and improve. At the same time, you know there are uh, procedural process that we put in and bureaucracy and red tape, right? Because you've got to check and balance the whole thing. And sometimes it doesn't give that effect down to the, to the SMEs. So you have an overall direction and leadership which very often from the top, you see it's great ideas but we want to look at how can that flow down in a, more, in a smoother, in a better executed fashion. Because we are talking about all this initiative coming to help the SMEs to accelerate, right? So from a leadership perspective, we do see that we can uh, be bolder you know, from, from an economy hmm. and ecosystems perspective. And that, I think, would allow a lot of the help that's flowing down. To allow SMEs to move in
0: a better way, rather than bogging them down with with uh, procedures. Thanks, uh, Yud. and uh, maybe if I can then um, you know draw on that uh, this this idea of the interaction between policymakers, who you know obviously have the public interest at heart, um, and obviously might be thinking about you know introducing all the need for all of these checks and balances that you talked about. Yud. Um, Louis and Kapeng, you you've both worked in the public service um, mm. you know maybe what are your thoughts about this you know greater greater partnership uh, between uh, the um, the policymakers and business right in taking risk right allowing the singapore businesses or businesses that are anchored in singapore to, to kind of take that next leap forward and particularly now right given the all of the challenges that Businesses are facing right now. Um, Kapeng, you want to go first? Yeah.
1: Well, I think it's absolutely necessary. Um, you know uh, that cooperation, and and I, I yeah. have spent a much longer period in the public service than I have in in private sector, right? Yeah. You know, so twenty over years versus what eight nine years. So so I think that that partnership is is vital, uh, particularly as we look at the change that's coming. I mean, if you think about. COVID versus energy transition. Um, COVID is something that happened and affected all of us, right? It happened in such a way that nobody is in a way better off, or nobody is spared from COVID, right? It can hit any single person. Um, and, and the difference is that you get almost immediate feedback from your action or inaction. Yeah? If you don't do anything in two or three weeks, you see the outcome of it if you do something right in two or three weeks you see the outcome of it and i think you know singapore has done exceptionally well in managing that and we've all kind of lived through that whole experience together right in something as equally complex you know as as climate change and, and energy transition unfortunately um, the, the 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 difference is that you know inaction may not lead to what you see in terms of outcome and impact until much, much later. Yeah? So, something that you don't do today or that you choose to do today, you will actually not see the impact, perhaps, until you get to 8, 10, 12, 15 years down the line. So, so how do governments then have to, to take, that, take up that challenge and say, well, governments, particularly like the one that you see in Singapore, have the ability to to think long term and plan long term. Companies like Shell who've been around for a very long time and we've been in Singapore for 130 years, we equally have access to resource and the ability and the capacity to think much longer term. How do we come together? How do we come together to then say, well, if we don't act now well, in 10 years time, guess what, you're going to see something. We actually don't know what we're going to see if we don't act now, but you've got that capacity to start having that conversation. So I, I do think that you know, uh, given the challenges that we face today, and you know, uh, um, I know that uh, DPM has already started to say beyond COVID, maybe there's a disease X, right? <laughs> so, so there are challenges, there are risks that are in the horizon that we have to deal with and I think it's imperative that government and, and um, uh, companies and the rest of the ecosystem come together uh, to have that conversation. Now, some companies are perhaps um, more ready than others to have that conversation, so, so be it, you know, let's start somewhere is, is my advocacy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Who are the change agents, uh, do you think, um, uh, you know. Uh, you know, we've, we we talk about this and, and say you know uh, we all need to come together, but who needs to take the first step, right? Who you know is this government then needing to change, or you know can companies you know, I band frankly, together?
1: I frankly, don't think it matters. You know, so so for us, as I said, I I do understand that different companies have got a different way of thinking about it. They are in different places, even with respect to their own business and what they what they want to do. Um, for us as a, as a global multinational, um, we do believe that we have the ability to have those conversations and we want to and we are ready, you know. And with governments, and I know this government is also equally ready, then that's where we will start. We can't say that it's the same everywhere in the world and for all the parts of the world that we have a business in, we can see that there's a difference. Yeah. Um, You've got to get started with willing partners.
0: It's quite interesting uh, what you just said, uh, Ka Peng, uh, and I think it also echoes what uh, Louis was talking about earlier about um, businesses coming from the region, like Grab or Gojek that you didn't mention, but but you know they're all present here, and um, you know how much we consider them uh, Singaporean businesses, mm. right? And uh, it harks to that. Responsibility that that businesses have, international businesses or multinational corporations like yours, um, you know, to you know, um, see that responsibility to the society that they are embedded in, um, and I just wonder whether you you know can talk, we can talk about that. You know, you know, what are the businesses' responsibilities to the society that they are in in in? Um, so. Uh, uh, Louis, you can take that up, or you, sure. can, you know, go uh, back to the previous discussion. Up to yeah,
2: you. maybe just building, building on that. I think you know, you've, you've mentioned we just now ecosystem in your speech. You talk about ecosystems as well. I think everyone has to play a role in it, right? I, I think it's uh, you, we can't expect the government to take the lead in everything, and I think the companies need to have a role lobbying the government, if anything. And you know, I think for for us, for example. Um, our collaboration with the government has helped us in, in many ways. In, in, in the 90s, uh, we participated in the Singapore Suzhou Industrial Park development in China, which gave us more access to China. Uh, together with the government in the 2000s, we developed the Sino Singapore Tianjin Eco City. And these have been the platforms for us to build uh, a new business that we're, we're driving called Urban Solutions, where it's not just vertical built but horizontal built, including the infrastructure for larger precincts or cities. Right. So, and, and we would not have been able to do that without the right support from, from our government to help us open doors. Uh, so I think we benefit from, from that kind of partnership and, and we look forward to being able to do more. Again, if we are very clear about where we can focus on and where we are going to invest behind, then we have a clearer view of, you know, be it the energy transition mm-hmm. or digitalization or sustainability, that we, we collectively invest behind those areas and we have the right kinds of incentives to build businesses uh, or, or grow new new businesses for existing corporates um, in, in, in those areas?
0: You, um, you know, when we think about small, medium sized even micro enterprises, we, we think about that small businessman, uh, you know, obviously a Singaporean uh, trying to, you know, do business. Um, you know, so going back to this idea of, you know, which or what can we d- describe as a Singaporean business? So maybe your take on that uh, from the, uh, the small entrepreneur's uh, perspective.
3: Yeah, I, I think that if you look at the small and medium business owners, we, a lot of times in our interactions with them, we, um, from the association, we, we, we try to hear and understand the challenges they deal with. Because, you know, at, at a different scale, and at different size, the challenges are very different. And sometimes as a SME owner, we we sometimes may think that, look, you know, the challenges I face are beyond my control, and I think that's not the the a very powerful position to look at. I think SME owners are in in fully capable, right, of continuing to innovate their business, and the other part is not only can they innovate, but they can actually do more collaboration with one another. One thing we notice. Um, in singaporean businesses is that i think the the nature of collaboration spirit is not so strong mm-hmm. and maybe it's from you know being competitive in school and since since then right <laughs> but we we can really do with with better ability to collaborate and working together and we always hear uh, of how we can actually go out of the country singapore is a very small market right yep. and how do we hunt as a pack And I think that there are a lot of possibilities that uh, Singapore uh, businesses can actually collaborate together and working with larger enterprises like the GLCs, right? Capital and so on, to actually work together and and actually tackle. And I think that's where the the game becomes more interesting. And one thing going against us, really, if you hear and you speak to especially the newer generation also, is the fact that we are very comfortable here in Singapore. So people going abroad is, is something that people feel, you know, it's, it's tough, it's, it's a bit painful. But I think we should um, instill the spirit of uh, enterprise and, and venturing abroad in our people and also our enterprises so that, you know, we go beyond just our shores. Uh,
0: maybe we can stick on that, that idea of, of, you know, what kind of businesses we can call Singaporean. Uh, because I think you know, it, it leads to the second point on tripartism, right? Uh, I think there's opportunity, as you, you were talking about, uh, in terms of um, Singaporean businesses, sort of collaborating with each other. Uh, but but we also have businesses around the region. Again, the Grabs, the Gojeks, and many small businesses around the world, uh, the world, but but clearly in the region, that we can partner ourselves with as well. You know, so you know, by. You know, collaborating with them, perhaps even merging with them or acquiring them, you um, you bring them and make them Singaporean businesses, and 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 collaborate with them and and work with them, pool the capital together to um, you know go forward uh, and and do business. Um, but I thought we we should now, in the interest of time, move mm-hmm. on to our second topic, um, and and that is tripartism, right? I think you heard from Director IPS earlier about you know the essential workers. Hmm. right and And what is that you know interaction between obviously government that we 've talked about um, businesses um, and and labor right? um, so you know maybe we can kick off with the elephant in the room right that uh, is this you know our relationship in Singapore with um, foreign workers right at all levels uh, the top to the bottom um, and, and clearly we, we have been most um, concerned um, in in the last year, obviously, of the, of the migrant workers all, all up in the dorms. But, but you know, uh, there's going to be a lot of change, right? Um, mm. I, I believe. Um, you know, how prepared are we, businesses as well as the society, as well as the overall economy, um, to sort of adapt to the changes that will be required? I mean, cl- clearly costs are a big part. We're already a high cost um, uh, location. Mm. So, you know, can we maybe have a think about that and, um, you know, talk about, um, the implications of um, this new relationship, or a new relationship with uh, foreign labour. Uh, uh, who wants to go first? Um,
3: yeah. I can share. share.
0: Yep. Um, actually, the the challenge uh,
3: with overall, right, the, from SME perspective, our challenge with uh, foreign workers started around 2011, when there was a decrease in uh, work passes and so on. So, so since then, there's been a you know um sMEs and local businesses have been struggling and and trying to adapt to uh, having better productivity, having uh, upskilling our internal uh, uh, workers and and local workforce right because the the quota and the passes was were, were tightening over this period of time I think um, overall um, we've seen um, There's certain work that that requires people and hands and legs. And and I think we've seen to limited success or some degree of success in certain areas. And um, I think it's an ongoing process. One of the challenges of of actually the transition in terms of workforce is that there's a challenge in um, upskilling and training and retention. Now, once you get into a challenge of, of training and retraining, because your work passed, right, may not get renewed and you have to retrain new workers. Some SMEs get into a situation where um, they get stuck with the cost of training and their cost starts to balloon and their productivity starts to drop. So hmm. instead of productivity going up because of these situations, in many cases you find actually you know, productivity going down. So I think that, that the economy needs to find a, a mean position right where um, we have the right amount of foreign talent and foreign labour as well as the um, right amount of productivity and automation. Now, then we talk about the COVID situation that, that kind of hit us, right? The, the wave that hit us really, really transformed many businesses. They had no choice, right? So certain businesses overnight had to drastically change and, and restructure. And some of them are still dealing with that. Like in the retail sector, we are not seeing majority having a, a gonna be having a good year this year. F and B is kinda recovered. And in, in this perspective, right, because of this wave, I think there's further opportunity for us to look at how we're gonna deploy our local labor versus um, foreign labour. So I think there's an opportunity for us, because of the situation, to re reorientate the business or transform the business and have a more optimal usage of of, uh, manpower against, you know, what is sustainable for us as a country, you know, in terms of usage of manpower. But we do see because of this, a lot of SMEs potentially outsourcing or offshoring certain work abroad, which in the past they may not be considering and and all because of work from home situations, you know, and also the fact that certain businesses are just restructured and, and transformed.
0: Um, any thoughts, uh, Louis uh,
2: Kapeng, on this, on this matter? No, I, I, I agree with, uh, I think, everything he said. Um, if anything, I think the question for us is how can we reduce reliance on foreign labour? Right? I think it, it, it's something that... It's a fact that most Singaporeans will not want to do the slew of jobs that, that the foreign labourers are coming, coming to Singapore to, to perform. Um, so I think that's the crux of it. Right. And, and, and what the pandemic has done is to raise awareness of the situation under which our foreign workers are living. And so I think necessarily uh, we will expect costs to go up if we're going to do more to, to, to house them better. Um, and I think these are the realities of business that we're going to have to grapple with over the next few years.
0: You're really sang- uh, quite sanguine about the, uh, sort of the ability of, of, of business in the future to absorb that, that higher cost uh, that is associated with with you know you know up, you know upscaling as as you was talking about uh, but also um, doing with uh, without all of this low cost labor a lot of this low cost labor low skilled labor. Yeah.
1: I, I, I don't know whether I'm in that space yet, <laughs> but I'm certainly in the space that this is the time for us to rethink and understand what has worked about the system and what has not worked. And, and COVID showed us a lot of what has not worked, right? So, so coming back to this whole, you know, uh, um, foreign worker situation in the dormitory, I mean, look, look at our sector. We, you know, as Shell, we don't hire a lot of foreign workers. In fact, uh, uh, the vast majority of our workforce are, are locals, yeah? But we are heavily dependent on uh, a set of contractors, you know, who do a lot of work with us in regular uh, work to maintain our facilities, our plants, to build new ones. You know, when when sometimes we do projects and so on. So we're heavily reliant on that industry to be uh, um, in a place that will allow them to support us. And if you look at the productivity and the skill level of. You know what we call our contractor workforce. Uh, we've realised for a long time now, and and I'm talking about oh the last couple of decades. Eh? We've realised for a long time now that the contractor workforce that we can find in Singapore are not um, at the right level of skill, nor the right level of productivity. Uh, uh, as you know, the contractor workforce that we see in places like, for example, the Gulf Coast of of, um, of the US, right, where we are equally big there and where the industry is also equally big. And we asked ourselves why, right? So, so several years ago, you know, Shell decided, look, we, we must be able to do something about it, you know. So all these foreign workers and, and they are being recruited from many countries around us, what can we do to better uh, understand the system and to take better care of the, the workers so that you know, they, when they are working for our contractors in Singapore, are happier, are better cared for. You know, uh, So we, we, we looked into issues like the conditions of the dormitory, how they are being transported to, to um, our site whether they even sit at the back of a lorry versus a bus with a seatbelt, you know. So we dived into all these issues and we tried to make a lot of adjustments along the way. And we did realise that, frankly, uh, as much as we did, we even went to the point of, you know, where were they being recruited? Are they getting the right kind of training? Do they have access to their passports? How much are they paying just to Know, turn up to work for us in Singapore. Yep. And we realised that in as much as we were trying to do uh, a- and make those changes, um, the, the the entire ecosystem has to move
4: yep. yeah,
1: before we could see any real change. So yes, then we see some increase in cost, for sure, <laughs> because of our requirements. And then you get to a point where you say, hang on, what else in that ecosystem is not working? I mean, if you think about our foreign worker uh, policy, um, the fact that virtually all our contractors have hit the limit means that the price lever around for foreign worker levy may or may mm-hmm. not be working. Mm-hmm. Because if it's working, it shouldn't be <laughs> yep. at that level, right? Mm-hmm. So I think these are important conversations for us to, to, to have with the government to kind of open up and say, hey, COVID showed us that some of these things actually may not have worked. So how are we going to rethink that whole system and how are we going to get them to the right level of skill and productivity? And guess what, Digitalization, and we are in the process of digitalizing our entire Shell Book Home, which is the biggest refinery we have in the world. How is that going to change their work? So you know, I, I'm afraid that we're now at the junction where we have to actually, you know, uh, um, get into very, very um, uh, open conversations around these topics, and you know, look at it not just from the lens that we had in the past of why it didn't work, but look at what is needed for it to work in future. So that's kind of where, where I am. So I totally agree with you, now's the time to do it, we can't wait. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So again, back to my um, question that I posed earlier, who is that change agent? Right? Who's going to lead that process? Right? Who can lead that process? Because. You know, we, we can talk about, you know, yes, we need to do all of this, and everybody says we need to, but nobody does and takes that first step or you know no one can come together. I um, suspect
1: we have to co-lead it, meaning yeah. you, know, you can say, why don't you get the government to lead this? Yeah. And then the government say, but you guys are the big users of yeah. so it. So it can be, look, I think we all need to be in the room for that conversation to happen. But with, with a clear desire to say, let's not just talk. Huh? At the end of it, let's make sure that we get out of that room with a couple of things that we're going to do.
0: And, and maybe then uh, expand that uh, to idea to you know, um, you know, business. Uh, and you know, we've organised um, you know, kind of the response. Along the lines of you know different uh, industries, and there are uh, 26 odd um, um, industry transformation maps. You know, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, before we move on, about you know the kind of the uh, maybe that pigeonholes us into or, or you know puts us into silos and buckets that that maybe are not as dynamic or flexible. You know, are we capable of collaborating um, in those um, verticals? Or, or sorry, yeah, in those verticals, I guess. Yeah, I, I can share a bit, right? Because we, we have been, the
3: industry transformation map has been, I think, five years in the making. And one thing we we got to say about our government, it they, they are very structured and very forward thinking. Now, what we have in terms of challenge, right, is translating some of these ideas and thought leadership down to execution. So if you look at um, a typical SME and, looking at the transformation map, very often the relevance is not quite there or you struggle to kind of Mm. understand what is this all about? And and for us, I think here's where you talked about the tripartite, right? Where I, over the last, I think four years I've start, I've seen the, the government move stronger and stronger towards engagement of trade associations as well. So together with trade associations coming in, and the empowerment of trade associations, I think the, the likelihood of having these maps from a theoretical and, and conceptual level, right, being able to execute and become relevant down to the individual businesses, I see that that chances um, being able to materialise much faster and, and much uh, better able to, to, to realise. So I think that's a, a great move in this perspective. The other part I, I wanted to also uh, point out right, overall in terms of um, the ecosystem perspective, is that um, if, if we wanted to have our SMEs and businesses to continue to be strong, I think um, cost is an area that we may want to look at how we can manage. So Karping mentioned about mm. you know, cost. Overall, we, we see, right, from an SME perspective, that cost fundamentally is an innovation dampener. You know, and of course, there needs to be cost because we need to pay for things. But as an ecosystem and as a country, we, we are already now almost the top top three most costly country in the world, right, for doing businesses. And as an SME, um, if most of our profits do not get retained as a profit, but they, they, they have to be paying bills or, or rental, right, that becomes a challenge because then that leaves very little for SMEs to actually innovate and 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 do more, right? We're just doing hand to mouth. So I think from that perspective, we should also look at you know how can manage the cost so that it it allows us to have that that ability to to innovate from the ground up.
0: So actually, it it strikes into um, what you just said, um, what you actually all said. um, You know, strikes into uh, some of the questions that we got, uh, particularly on day one, right? About um, you know again. Uh, how we navigate uh, into this new, changed cost environment for Singapore, uh, and again, who leads that process? And the question, actually, what well, the the question that sticks in my mind um, came from the kind of the procurement angle, right? And uh, I was I was thinking about this uh, when I I was quoting uh, Professor Danny Kwa, right? His points about not focusing on maximum efficiency but that right balance between performance uh, and re- resilience, right? Um, and, um, you know, who takes that lead, right? You know, government is the biggest um, employer um, and uh, procurer of, of, of contracts and services, um, you know, big firms like yours, um, Shell and uh, and Keppel, right? also big procurers um, as well, right? So, um, you know, who, who takes that first step, right? Who, I mean, you know, because if you do so uh, and, and go through the, the detail that, that you were mentioning, yeah. Kapeng, yeah. it's going to, you know, it's going to raise your cost uh, and it may put you at a competitive disadvantage to um, other firms competing in your space.
1: Well, I, I, I suppose, you know, um, there's a question of who is best placed to understand system cost and system impact, right? So, you know, it's it's great to have industry uh, transformation roadmaps. <laughs> I was on the other end of drawing those things up a <laughs> long time ago, right? <laughs> but, you, you know, if you cast your eye to the future and say, look, you know, 20 years from now, right, or 10, 15 years from now, if we do not do certain things, who is at that point in time best place to understand what would have been the cost of externalities that could not be priced in? Uh, what would have been the cost to the system uh, due to inequalities, due to many you know, other things that happen um, at that point in time? An individual company or a government? More likely than not, a government, I think, to be able to provide those kinds of perspectives, to look at, so what are the outcomes that you're trying to drive from your industry transformation and the consequences of not getting there? yeah because you know if it's just a set of ambitions and you know we want to be 10 times bigger than we are today or we want to be number one in everything we do i think that's a great place to start but it's not the only conversation you need to have you've got to say what's the consequence of us not getting there you know what are the costs to the system if we don't achieve certain things so i you know and i'm reflecting on this because you know as, as a company we, we see how different ecosystems act through the world. Yeah? Some, you know, in Europe they have taken a different approach to climate change, uh, here we've taken a slightly different approach and, and it's fine, it's fine to have different approaches but we need to kind of you know come to that part of the conversation. Yeah.
0: Okay and uh, um, I did want to talk about sustainability before we you know, open up to, uh, to questions. Yeah. Um, maybe we can Uh, come back to it uh, and you know towards the end um, and when I ask you to kind of present your ideas for the future um, maybe if I can ask you to Mm. maybe put that uh, your answer within the context of sustainability whatever sustainability means to you um, in your businesses. Um, So um, you know I think we've come to uh, an appropriate time to just open up to um, the questions from the floor. Uh, We've got quite a number of questions that have Quite a number of votes uh, already from Pigeon Hall. Again, maybe I can reiterate uh, the offer to all of us uh, uh, participating here in person today um, to um, raise your questions uh, by putting your hand up um, and uh, the mics will come to you. Um, uh, Please introduce yourself uh, and pose your question. Uh, Please keep your mask on, of course. So if there are any questions uh, from the floor at the moment, uh, before I move on, uh, I see two already. Um, May I just take um, uh, that gentleman there, please, Um, if I may? Uh, Table 2 and A2. Yep, Table 2, A2. Uh, Can a a mic go there, please? And then maybe we'll take another question uh, from the same uh, zone. um, At the corner. Um, any mic? To uh, the table two first, please, if that's possible. Table Got some questions.
5: Hello. Um, ah, yeah. Matthew Ting from the Sellin Foundation. Um, you, you were talking about upskilling uh, the, 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 the workforce and, and society. Uh, but we also need to look at on uh on on a more macro perspective uh you know what kind of 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 uh you know economy that we that we want so are we as a society ready to to make the changes uh, that is required to become a more innovative more more creative society rather than one which is just focused on 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 execution and uh you know good implementation? because it, it, it requires a different kind of mindset, right? One, one requires more discipline, uh, uh, order, and one requires more you know, thinking outside the box and pushing on the edges of, of society which we may not feel comfortable with.
0: Okay, So the, the nature of uh, innovation, I guess, uh, in, in Singapore. Um, maybe we take another one question and then we'll um, you know, discuss that and then we'll move to the questions being posed uh, online. Um, so that I think there was another question uh, from that, um, that table there, please.
5: Um, hello, thank you very much. Uh, Alex Tan from uh, IPS. Uh, I li- Thank you very much to the panellists for this uh, engaging session. I listen very intently and I have a question for each of the panellists. I'll start with uh, Mr Lim. Uh, you talked about a little bit about um, opportunities in Singapore where we don't have to... Start from the bottom in a greenfield startup, so there are pockets for entrepreneurship uh, uh, in existing companies. I was wondering whether you could uh, share with us, uh, in your mind, what are some sectors where we can find these uh, what I call brownfield opportunities for our local businesses? Uh, that's for Mr. Lim. And uh, for Ms. Ao, uh, would you kindly comment on how multinational corporations like Shell? helping in the upgrade of local businesses through spillovers. Uh, it could be in terms of technology, uh, know-how, business know-how, or uh, best practices. And uh, for Mr. Ang, uh, I have a simple question uh, for th- from your, SME, uh, your perspective of SMEs. So we have this conversation about SMEs upgrading and retraining and, and, and becoming world-class middle stance uh, in Singapore uh, for some time now. Uh, The simple question I have is, uh, in your mind, what is the one thing from an SME SME business owner and also as a a, a trade association um, leader, what is the one thing that is going to untangle all the problems that SMEs are facing uh, if you may be so bold to just say, what is this one thing? If you solve this one problem, SMEs will flourish in Singapore. No doubt about that. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Alex. Um, okay, I think uh, I sensed, um, you know, again underlying uh, the questions from Alex uh, for each of you, um, again, uh, you know, the idea of innovation. What kind of innovation? I mean, you know, for, for Louis, the uh, the question came in the form of, you know, what brownfield sites and and you know maybe the low hanging fruit. That we can think about for Singapore business to um, sort of execute upon, um, maybe not in the next 50 years, but, but maybe in the next five to 10 years. Um, and I think um, you know that that was also true for you, the um, the idea of uh, retraining, um, you know what kind of innovations that we might need uh, in that space. Um, I think it relates to what you were talking about earlier as well. Uh, and, and for cupping um, uh, I think you've already talked about it a little bit. Uh, this upgrading of the ecosystem. So maybe if you can uh, answer that, uh, and then maybe if in, within that uh, we can answer the question from Matthew, uh, as well as um, you know. I think we've already got quite a number of questions uh, in the um, uh, you know the uh, pigeonhole uh, that relate to this idea of, of innovation. What is you know um, the essence of Singapore innovation? Yep, so please, if you could. Um,
2: Well, I I think to begin with, um, innovation, I think it's a buzzword that has been going around for for quite a while. Um, At at Keppel we we set up the Keppel Technology and Innovation Unit in 2018 precisely for that purpose, uh, to to generate new ideas, encourage our businesses to generate new ideas, incubate them and then uh, implement them. So, in, in terms of, you know, for us, what we do look at is our existing businesses and areas that we can add on to, to what we already know. So, for example, within the land business, obviously, smart, sustainable buildings um, are going to be the way forward, right? So taking the experience that we have last year, uh, we certified Keppel Bay Tower, where we're headquartered, uh, to become the first BCA Green Mark Platinum zero energy building. And I think the zero energy building theme is going to be uh, something that we can roll out, not just in Singapore, but in, in other markets, right? And, and we have a uh, fund management arm which we can even harness to raise money to, to do that. So I, I think coming up with ideas and implementing them is, is the key thing and it doesn't always have to be ours. I think one thing that we need to be more conscious about is uh, this this not invented here syndrome that I think a lot of companies have and, and, and that we need to overcome. So for example, uh, we invested in a co-working business in India called SmartWorks. We have invested last year in a co-living business um, a small one starting out in Singapore, but with Southeast Asia ambitions. So I think these are the ways that we can tap into the ecosystem um, and to help us grow as an organization as well. you, you wanna go
3: next? Okay. Um, I, I wanna tackle the innovation part, right? I think innovation needs to be accompanied by hard skills. I mean, you, you, you can dream, but you need to be able to execute at the same time. And I think the challenge about the way Singapore goes about dealing with skills upgrading and training it is very regimental and very siloed so if if you look at the the way um, you know if you looked at skills future you looked at uh, wsg right and and I think they're doing a great job in trying to push the, the the industry forward but one thing is that it's 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 actually not very flexible and it's is locked into maybe in, in very fixed verticals, and the the thing about innovation when you pair it up with skill is that sometimes it crosses boundaries, and I think what we need to instill as a spirit, right, is the ability for us to um, not be to be too tied down into into certain fixed form and shape, and how does how do we translate that into um, how we bring up our children or how we empower SMEs, right? And I wanted to kind of lead into this portion about how sometimes when we apply for certain training and certain grants, right, it is very strict in terms of how um, we, we follow certain procedures. And that makes the whole process of skills upgrading and training, uh, well, you have to kind of navigate yourself and you fit it in rather than that training, suiting your needs of your, your organisation. So that hinders the ability of the organisation to try to run, run forward by leveraging on what's given to, to them from the upgrading and skills training perspective. So I think that, that perspective may be a, a worry that you know, if we don't do the, str- well, from the government perspective, if we don't do the programme properly, we may deal with compliance audit problems, right? and that becomes a challenge and then they, they structure it so tightly that it's hard to use from the, from the SME perspective. I think that needs to be dealt with if we wanted to really allow and empower the SMEs to have that kind of skills training and as an economy in general, for us to take it forward and move forward as an economy. So I think that's, that's one, one area. Um, Alex was asking about one problem, it's very, very hard to answer, right? It's like the magic bullet. but um, if, if I had to kind of say or theorise on, on one thing that we could do better, is maybe, you know, Singapore is a very open economy. We, we pride ourselves on being very open. So much so that if you, if you look at it from, from a procurement perspective, there are quite a few foreign companies that come in and compete with the local companies to, to, for government contracts and we are the large the government contracts are the largest, the government's large, largest buyer, right? So from that perspective, if we could look at how the government procurement policies are, because it's potentially an area where we could incubate SMEs, right? Because you provide businesses to SMEs. In fact, SMEs very often, if you talk to them, they tell you, hey, don't give me grant, give me business, lah. you know? And, and that's true, right? So if the government can really look at how we could supercharge our SMEs by actually buying from them and looking at how our policies can. Instead of right now we have a policy of aggregating into larger enterprises, if you notice in certain sectors, for for the sake of efficiency. So then SMEs get, get excluded away from, from many contracts because they become aggregated to be too large. So allow the smaller enterprises to compete in smaller jobs so that they have the profit so that they can look at how they can innovate and you let them have that flexibility and freedom to innovate. I think that will, that will actually make our ecosystem
0: more vibrant. Right. Uh, I'd, I'd like to um, sort of um, you know, pull out uh, that, that point that you made about um, you know, the, the, the skilling right, and, and the silos and all that sort of stuff. And already, Um, Bring that back to what I said earlier in the summary about, you know, all of the desire for better education being not necessarily in that traditional classroom context. Um, You know, we're we're very much set up very well to deliver that education in that formal classroom context. Um, So we have, you know, a very good educational system, it's all highly ranked. But, you know, how how do we actually um, almost democratise, put and cite that learning um, in businesses, obviously, you you clearly know what skills you need for the future or should do. Um, you know, how, how can we better cite that learning, right? Um, so we were good, very good at the industrial scale. Everybody does this standard uh, curriculum, but how do we get that you know more flexible, dynamic, perhaps um, customized learning that you might need uh, for you know specific uh, roles, but 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 also have that you know. Um, delivered across the board? I'm not sure that we can answer that I guess in the remaining time but maybe it's worthwhile um, we pose that question uh, and we carry that question uh, to the later later discussions uh, with the Minister for Education. Um, uh, Maybe if I can then um, move on uh, to some of the other questions. Oh, actually, I missed you out, Capping. Uh, oh, sorry, well, I do let want me, to say something. No, no, please, uh, l- 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 I'll give you uh, the, the, maybe, kind of the word on that. Maybe to uh,
1: Alex's uh, question. Please, yeah? please. okay, ahead, I do sorry. want to say something. I, I think that you know, uh, for a long time, even when I was working in public service, uh, back then uh, we we had this notion that you know the bigger companies can help the smaller companies, right? It was. MNCs can help SMEs and so on. But you know, now, now that I'm in Shell and I'm sitting on the opposite <laughs> side of the fence, one of the big things we talk about very often is, um, you know, how can we tap the best ideas? Um, how can we remind ourselves every day that we don't have all the answers, you know, and uh, that we need help as a, as a company? Yeah, to, to continue to grow and to continue to innovate. So, it's really not a question of can we help, but can we work together yeah? and can we collaborate? Um, I think that in, in Shell, we, we certainly have a lot of the issues that, you know even Louis was talking about not invented here syndrome. You know We've been around so long, surely we must know what we're doing. Um, you know, a bit of that. But increasingly, and and we've seen this in many of the things that we do in Singapore, we're asking the questions, hang on, the best ideas are everywhere, you know? How do we tap and leverage them? So for example, we participated in ESG's open innovation challenge, which is really to, to define a whole set of problems, right? Give it to them, and then they go give it to a whole bunch of companies. Uh, big and small, and see mostly small, but and see what solutions will come back. Right? Um, we we talk about you know how to um, share uh, uh, skills around uh, developing business proposals, pitching of those ideas, and so on with uh, young companies, startups, and in turn, actually, we learn a lot from them as we as we look at what they do. We do best practice sharing with all our suppliers in different parts of our business. And as I said, you know, yes, we, we share best practice, but more often than not, we also learn from what they do. And we start to understand the kind of challenges that they face and, and you know, it leads to a different conversation. So I, I do think that, um, at least for us, we've moved into that zone of understanding that there's so much value to be unlocked by working with that ecosystem, um, by, you know, by just being, I suppose, humble about what we know and what we don't know, um, and and starting from there.
2: I, I want to build on the collaboration point because I mm. think it's very important for innovation. One of the challenges I think practically that we face is the kind of tender process that we go through. Mm-hmm. And, and this is government tendering to companies or companies tendering yeah. out to other to other companies because actually it's much better if you're working together to find the best solution. But each company does not want to share Mm. their IP at that point in Mm. time. And then I share all my IP and suddenly it goes out to tender (laughs) and I lose my price. (laughs) So um, I I think that's something that we have to overcome. And and it's this whole balance of controls and compliance that has become so important in this day and age, Mm. but which has also added a huge amount of cost to operating businesses. So what can we do to be clever about how we govern for risk instead of kind of governing off risk, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think that's going to be a big challenge that we have to overcome collectively.
0: So maybe that is something that we need to look at and introduce and incorporate into the ITMs, right? I mean, you know, if, if that's one mechanism, perhaps we can use that, um, the ITMs, not just to say about, you know, these are the, the way forward for all of these other potential business p- opportunities, but, but also think about how we might um, organise these in different industries to kind of you know maybe come together and, and have a, a joint or or collaborative procurement system. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's a suggestion that maybe we can take forward. Great, excellent. Okay, there's lots of questions uh, on on pigeonhole, uh, and uh, it would be remiss of me not to uh, address some of them. Uh, if I may, I, I will uh, group them and and just pose them uh, you know as one um and maybe it is um i think uh the question about um the ecosystem that we have uh in the region right so this is um uh, ambassador zaino abdin's uh, question about um collaborating with our ASEAN neighbors um uh, collaborating perhaps again i think we talked a little bit about it just now but maybe talk about this opportunity but but also the challenges that um uh, that we face businesses face uh in you know Pushing into um, the ASEAN region, the six hundred fifty million people. Yeah. Um, anybody want to go first? Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Sure. yeah go
2: ahead. Um, well, I, I think definitely a, a big region. Um, I, th- I think for Keppel, as we look at Asia Pacific, without doubt, China and India stand out as must-go-to countries. Even though, especially India is, is challenging. Um, question for us is where, where in Southeast Asia, right? And and I think for different industries and sectors, there are different places that you can go to. For us, again, we've, we've been fortunate to have been in Vietnam for a very long time, but I, I, we think that country holds a lot of promise and, and that's where you know we are differentially focused on trying to introduce a broader set of solutions beyond real estate, which has been traditionally where we've been focusing on in into Vietnam. Um, and then I think finding local partners is is incredibly important. For us, partnering in each of the markets has been the key to, to our success. So for Southeast Asia, I think wherever we go to, we need to be very clear about what the right partners are that we can collaborate with. Uh, and, and this is for any Singapore company that's venturing
0: overseas. And, and do you think that that's, that opportunity also exists for small and uh, medium-sized enterprises? Yeah, I think,
3: I think that Singapore has a very good brand. If you travel around, you know, you hear other countries talk about Singapore, it's always a, a renowned brand as Singapore company and people have, have respect for, for that. Now, you know, we always say that Singapore is a perfect test because we are a small country, it's very easy for us to execute and do things, right? But one thing I've, I've, I've noticed about how, how our, fundamentally as, as people born, born and bred in Singapore versus other countries is that we, we only think of Singapore as, as the market, right? Yep. And, and we do not engineer our businesses to be be global or regional. You know, if you spoke to a Chinese businessman, they'll think of, well, five cities or 10 provinces or whatever, right? And they, they design their business for that kind of scale. And I think that's one of the things that holds back Singapore businesses because we don't design our businesses for, for scale. We, we just treat Singapore as a market. I think that's one of the things that, you know, as, as we uh, bring up our next generation, we we've got to look at ASEAN and, and South e- Southeast Asia as one market. And the other thing is because Singapore is so unique in, in its nature and the cost differential is so different, you know, very often what works here may not work in the region, at least, you know, from SME perspective. So you really got to go out and, and be ready to, to fail a few times before you really learn about what goes on outside. But that being said, I think there's a lot of potential because if, if you really start to think from a very different perspective, then you have the opportunity to actually um, deal with the whole the whole region as a whole.
0: Anything to add? Well, I,
1: I, I would just say that, you know, for, for a company like us, we've been not just in Singapore but in the region for a very, very long time. And you know, the, the nature of our business is such that you know we have we have to have skill. That that's at the heart of what we do. If we don't have skill, I think we would find it really difficult to to uh, compete well in our business. But as much as we talk about scale, so whether we have skill in refining, moving, moving parcels of uh, products you know throughout the world, there's also very much a, a, a local element, yeah. So who we are to what communities, yeah? what do we stand for in that particular community, uh, that gets very much localized, yeah. Um, and so we can't be you know we can't be doing the stuff that we do in shell retail Singapore in the same way that we do in let's say uh, uh, Bangkok or, or Philippines and so on where the communities have s- different expectations and different needs so I think for us it's about both understanding where we need to scale and how we need to sustain that skill and keep growing it um, as well as, having meaning to the communities that we serve. Now, that then has to be very much localised. You know, with, And it's not even simple things like language and so on, which obviously you have to do, right? Yeah. But it's going down to you know how do they live? Yeah. Uh, and therefore, what do they need in terms of products, uh, support, services and so on? I mean, a, a good example of how we do it in Singapore is if you look at some of our retail stations, we actually build things like bike racks, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, um, pumps for not just your car but pumps for um, uh, bicycles, right? But, but why do we do that? Because we've noticed that the communities around us, actually a lot more people are cycling. And, and in order for them to stop by, well, they, they need somewhere to hang their bike, right, while they're dropping into our retail store. So, you know, so you actually have to get down to what's happening with your community. Figure that out, and that's where I think you know SMEs, whether it's local or, or outside of Singapore, ha- have a great role to play in working with businesses to address those needs.
0: Great. Thanks, Kaping. Okay, so we've got one question I think uh, that relates to um, uh, the, the discussion that we had already on, on education. Uh, it's from uh, Mr. Winston Ng, uh, and he, he asked the question As a young student entrepreneur, I always wonder what happened to our entrepreneurship scene in Singapore. What happened to the commerce stream in Singaporean schools? Why only arts and um, it's truncated there, but I guess why only arts? And um, uh, I can't remember. Um, So um, if I may, I think we've kind of touched on that already. Uh, And maybe, um, Winston, if you can, uh, maybe pose that question again uh, in our closing dialogue uh, later on with uh, the Minister for Education. uh, if I can then move to the kind of the, the next question which uh, has quite a number of votes and it's from Anchao. Um and, uh, it's, uh, from Chow, um, and uh, sorry it's not Anchao. Uh, it's Valeria, Valeria um, and uh, she's asking I guess the question about um, business having increasing amounts of power uh, and referencing uh, you know businesses like Facebook and Twitter uh, um, you know, uh, banning uh, President Trump. Um, uh, are the responsibilities and roles of business and government merging? Right. So, I guess it's, it's more for the bigger uh, enterprises um, and maybe I can then pose that to the, the two that are representing um, big businesses um, on the panel. Um, do off you off that, I would yeah. say the
2: roles are very different. <coughs> I, I, I don't think mm. um, businesses could ever play yeah. the policy roles of, of the government. Right, But I think that being said, I uh, agree that large businesses do have incredible some uh, power like, like, like the Apples and Facebooks of the world. And I think that's where the word responsibility comes to play. Right, I think those businesses do have a social responsibility given the power that they, they, they have. Um, but I don't think in any way that businesses and, and governments could convert. Well, I, yeah, I, I do agree
1: with Louis that governments and businesses have Different roles. Yeah. They they need to coexist, but they have different roles. You know, in Shell we talk about societal license to operate. What does that mean, right? A couple of really big words, you know, <laughs> strung together. But it's about understanding, you know, within the communities that we do business, what do societies expect of us and how do we serve those needs. So, you know, if we if you are in a community where you know you have, a, so for example, in Singapore, we do a lot of work with uh, Lakeside Family Services, Southwest CDC, because that's where a large part of our operations are located, right? And so we invite them to see what we do. We talk to them, and we have exchanges. And during COVID, we were doing a lot of you know online mentoring and all kinds of stuff. So so when we talk about understanding our societal license to operate, it means that as a business we do accept that we have a certain responsibility to those communities and our responsibility comes in terms of firstly you know we have to do our business really well meaning uh, we have to keep people safe we have to send them home every day safely you know and then we have to be you know uh, true to the communities around us which means we need to engage with them we need to spend time we need to be open to Uh, um, to them asking us questions, why are you doing this in your business, why are you not doing something else? So we have a lot of these engagements um, and we try to leverage our assets right, to to, to do even more. So if you look at all our retail stations, we have e-waste bins there. Why (laughs) e-waste? We're not even in the business of waste, nor in the business of electronic. But because we know that people are looking for that type of infrastructure and we said, look, we can do it without you know interfering with our business of, of retail and, and and the conditions around it. Fine. Have all these you know e-waste collection boxes and, and that should you know help the community around us. Right? So you've got to figure those things out um, of what is meaningful for us to do and then you know does it serve the needs of the community? And I think as we look to the future uh, it is indeed about, okay, so what will uh, energy transition require and how we think about those things together. Yeah? So I think in Shell we talk about societal license to operate, with the understanding that doing our business well today gives us the ability to continue, to compete as a business, to generate the bottom line that we need to, uh, that we need to uh, generate. But we are also not uh, shy to say that we are part of that community, and we need to earn the right to continue doing business.
0: I think um, it, it, maybe I can riff on that uh, question uh, and, and really talk about some of the kind of the, the roles and responsibilities of business and government. Uh, government uh, is there to provide uh, public services. Um, you know, obviously uh, have that. Uh, regulatory framework uh, that that you know governs rules as to how a business is conducted in Singapore. Um, maybe touch on the idea of of taxation, right? Because you know we've got the budget coming up uh, in, yeah. in two and a half weeks' time. Uh, we you know clearly have suffered um, a major hit to our our budget um, in in last year, and clearly that is still likely to continue into uh, 2021 and beyond, perhaps. Um, the question is, you know, will, you know how, how would business uh, react to Singapore not necessarily being as low taxed and as uh, favourable in terms of, you know, kind of subsidies and incentives to set up um, in Singapore, right? Um, so what is, you know, um, your response might be uh, to a higher tax environment, uh, lower incentive um, to come in? Base yourself here. What are your thoughts? Um, anybody want to? It's a googly. I haven't, um, you know, um, mentioned I, this oh in I, the past. Yeah, but, we but can. Yeah.
1: I, I can get started. Um, so, so I think you know, um, uh, Singapore has a very uh, um, attractive tax regime, right? And I think it's attractive not just because it's low tax. Certainly not. Yeah. It's the certainty it's the interactions we have with the authorities where you know you are able to have meaningful conversations yeah about what works and what doesn't work yeah. and when i say certainty it means that whatever is promised uh, on both sides uh, on the side of the company and on the side of the government both sides have to keep to that promise and then you know and then the consequences are clear right so i think it's many of these dimensions coming together to make that system attractive, yeah. Um, for, for us as a company, we, in fact, two years ago we started uh, a publishing uh, a tax uh, transparency report, which means that we actually report country by country how much tax we pay. So you know, it's out there, <laughs> it's out there, and and frankly, there's nothing to be, uh, to be shy about, right? Because it is it is what we do, yeah. Now. I, I think, you know, we see also then the government here, the tax authorities here, kind of saying, hey, that's, that's a good thing, you know, thank you for <laughs> telling us about it. And they themselves are embracing, you know, quite uh, a lot of that um, transparency, a lot of that, you know, how do we uh, really enable companies, not just to do business here, but to, to do it the way that would help them engage that wider stakeholder. So I think, you know, I would go beyond just saying, hey, how much is low enough, right? Low enough is never low enough. (laughs) So I do think you have to look at the different dimensions of what makes that whole system attractive and gives companies the certainty and the ability to plan forward and execute a business.
0: Great, thank you. Uh, Maybe I can uh, again ask, if there's any questions uh, from the floor today uh, still, um, please um, again put up your hand and uh, you know, uh, we'll have a mic brought to you. If you don't mind, uh, please stand up uh, and uh, ask your question and introduce yourself. Any questions? No, oh please, Professor Kishore.
4: Uh, thank you. Since there are no questions, I'm <laughs> going to ask a question. <laughs> the session has been fascinating, but early on, Christopher, you referred to Linda Lim's uh, usual provocative comments, uh, especially her provocative comment that Singapore can go from being a fast follower or follower to becoming an originator. There's been some discussion of it, but if you we want to give a straightforward yes and no answer, and I'm going to put my friend Kapeng on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> can Singapore actually, uh, in a sense, make a huge mental switch and go from a country that relies on like, overseas people to follow to becoming a somewhat like Israel, a country that is not a follower at all, but is always a leader? So can Singapore become an Israel in the economic scene?
0: OK. Um. Again, it's provocative, um, you know, you've been put on the spot. Um, it's come up time and time again. Uh, but m- maybe, we, um, yeah, probe a little bit deeper, I think, uh, into that question, whether we, it is within Singapore's DNA you know, to do that, take that risk. Please, uh, anybody? Uh, ka I mean, you've been my <laughs> road. Well since, <my> Kisho, road. <laughs> since you, you,
1: you kind of provoked me, right? <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think we do, but many things have to change. You know, um, and when I say many things have to change, oh boy, the things that are floating in my mind, there are so many, you know. (laughs) Leadership, how leaders react to failures versus success, you know, how leaders enable uh, uh, instead of direct, yeah. How leaders uh, provide care and not just, um, you know, discipline instruction. (laughs) So, So, there are a lot of things that need to change in that bucket. Um, uh, our own people in terms of the confidence that, that we have in taking ideas forward and not just say, I have a great idea and we have plenty of great ideas. The question is, what are you doing to take it forward? Who do you have to persuade? And it's not just science, right? It's not just that I have a great scientific breakthrough. I still have to persuade somebody meaning help them understand what is that breakthrough about, you know. uh, And and frankly, in Singapore, I I sometimes think we value the hard stuff a little bit better because it's easier to to say, ah, let's put a value on that. But the softer stuff of how we persuade, how we articulate, how we get people excited and energetic about it so that they can then go into action mode, uh, that we usually say is soft. (laughs) But what does soft mean? Um, I, I, I kind of personally find it hard, hard to really differentiate between hard versus soft, right? Because you need all of it to happen. Yeah? You need all of it to happen to say, even if I had a good idea, I'm going to be able to persuade people to work with me to take it to a better idea. Yeah? And I think we have to equally value this bucket of capabilities as well as this bucket of capabilities. Now, do we then have things like infrastructure, uh, system, institutions? Yeah, we have lots and lots of those and and many are in pretty good places. Um, You know, then then how do we think bigger, right? How do we think beyond what we have today, what new things we have to build? So, you know, Kishore, I'm, I'm in the place that yes, we can. But we have to be pretty brutally honest about what we need to change and be Quite broad-minded about it, meaning we cannot stop at let's just do the three easy stuff, you know, or do the three things that we can we can clearly uh, put a box around, yeah, because it won't be enough. That that's where I am.
2: Louis, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean it's interesting that you mentioned Israel. Um, so uh, I think a couple of years we, we went to Israel to to do a. Trip. It was more, more of a trip to identify businesses that we could uh, plug onto our businesses to grow. But it was very clear, and we, we were taken through a series of presentations, that it is actually not by chance. Right? And, and they actually have built an ecosystem in Israel where the government, the, the universities, the other institutions of learning, uh, venture capital, um, the, the corporates are all involved in harnessing new talent and encouraging innovation. So I, I agree with, with Karpeng. I think there's a lot that needs to be done, but I think one of the primary changes would have to be that mindset shift, mm. right? And I think in, in, you hear a lot in Singapore companies, people tend not want to step outside of their box. First of all, they're comfortable in their box, but sometimes if they do stick their necks out, it gets chopped and then, you know, you get into <laughs> more trouble than it's worth, right? So people are just happy and not doing, doing very much. I, I think we need to collectively break out from that mold.
4: Mm.
3: I, I can, sh- well, you know, from the SME perspective, I, I guess, um, really, you know, I think the spirit of enterprise I've, is, is present in, in people and in, in our people. I've seen a lot of innovative and, and very enterprising people, Singaporeans in other countries. You don't really hear of them, but, but they are very enterprising and very innovative. I think th- in Singapore, you, you can't deny that the government uh, has a very large hand to play in both the economy and the ecosystem. And I think if we really, we really wanted more innovation in that perspective, I think a few things needs to, to happen such that the leadership comes from from top down, right? And th- there are things like, for example, if, like I mentioned before, costs, if costs are really tight and keeps going up, then the amount of uh, innovation opportunity for the, the smaller businesses are not going to be there because it gets sucked away from from, from the business vibrancy. Um, I think there are also policies around how to drive innovation. And the intentions are great, but I think the check and balances sometimes are too onerous. So, so we also look at um, the KPI setting. I think, you know, we are a very KPI driven orga- uh, nation, right? And sometimes you really look, there are certain goals and the KPI may not be the, the best set and maybe it works as an initial KPI. We may want to you know, deepen some of these KPIs like uh, our skills, direction and training, moving in the right direction. You know, is it really affecting um, effect- the change that we want if we really measured it. Yeah. And if you really looked at it, it may not be the case if you drilled in on, on the measure. Yeah. So I think that, that's things that we can you know, look at.
0: So some different measurements, um, maybe not just focus on that, you know, the d- definition of KPIs that we've been kind of accustomed to, maybe there's a way to break out from the mould uh, that we have maybe trapped in our being, you know, not first movers, but um, you know, trapped as cautious followers even. Cool. I think we're running out of time. Um, there's lots of questions still on, on, on Pigeonhole. Uh, haven't been able to to deal with all of them, but but rest assured, we will be taking all of these uh, you know, into our subsequent phases of reimagining uh, Singapore project. So um, you know, thank you for all of them. Um, if I may, uh, you know, to the f- uh, not attempt to summarise what um, all of the uh, panelists have said. Uh, but, but really to offer them uh, an, uh, a minute or two, to really define uh, for themselves, uh, you know, what success, what prosperity and progress would look like for you. Um, you can you talk about this in an uh, sort of individual or company perspective, but what would success look like in 2030? So maybe we do it in a kind of reverse order, you'd go first and then Louis and then uh, ka yeah I, I think you know
3: if we look forward into the future um, Singapore has gone from uh, one in the 60s and 70s being very um, focused around you know foreign investments and large enterprises and now towards um, one that you know uh, has innovation entrepreneurship and um, you know focus on SMEs right so going forward I think that I hope to see that um, there's a great partnership between um, GLCs and SMEs as we both co-create and hunt as a pack. you know I think there's a lot to be gained as we learn from one another and as we expand beyond uh, the shores of Singapore and to support that you know um, government policies in terms of procurement um, facilitates the the vibrancy and the growth of, of our local enterprises. And um, also, you know, in terms of policy making, we can continue to deepen our KPIs in terms of looking at what really moves the needle in terms of in line with the policy. So that's what
0: I have. Thank you,
2: Louis. I, I think you know, we're all acutely aware of the vulnerability of Singapore and, and the fact you know, people are our key resources. So, I think in 2030, I I would like Singapore to be one of the most livable cities in the world, uh, a place that attracts the best talent, uh, the companies to be headquartered here, and um, that we have the ecosystem in place to be able to enable that, right, with the kind of agility and innovation Mm -hmm. that's required for us to make the difference, move the needle over the next 10 years. And I think if collectively we can agree what the themes are, um, you know, again, be it energy transition, sustainability, digitalization platforms, we can differentially focus and invest behind those collectively.
1: Well, you know, I've been reading about and watching the energy industry for 30 years now. <laughs> it's a long time. But, you know, nowhere in that 30 years period have I felt the most excited about the kind of change that we're seeing today. And so I hope that, you know, and I know that Singapore will, will succeed and thrive in the energy transition. Uh, that's what I want to see. Um, I think we've got all the reasons to succeed. And in a very good way, COVID has actually cracked open our minds to new thinking.
0: Yeah. More power for us. Um, with that note, a uh, very optimistic note, uh, may I thank uh, all of the panelists, uh, Yud, Louis and Ka for you know, joining us today and sharing their thoughts about uh, you know Singapore business uh, in uh, 2030. May I ask everybody to thank uh, the panelists, uh, and uh, we look forward to um, uh, more questions later on. Thank you. Thank, thank you, so